Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. Super excited to be here. Um, and because we're always scrambling on this thing, I'm excited to have Julie Hansen on our show. Need to give a quick shout out though to Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411 and Gong.io. But Julie, I prepared so much that I don't even know your title. So, you know, wow. first of all, um, you know, this is how raw we go. Like we're authentic. That's, <laughs> that's our goal. Right. So, right. Right. So, um, I don't know my title either. So uh, I usually say I'm a author of two sales books and to be three sales books. Um, I founded performance sales and training, which works on bringing in the uh, acting performance aspects of uh, communicating with other people to, engage them and, and uh, connect as much as possible and um, and also worked as an actor. So uh, now I'm a sales trainer and a coach through uh, my company. That's all. I want to, I want to ask a little bit too, because a lot, I particularly because of 2020 and I, and I think I've always tried to do this, but you know, the buzzword is authenticity these days, right? Mm -hmm. How to be authentic. And when I hear the word act, it's you being authentic in that role as I think about it in traditional acting, right? Like a, a play. Absolutely. Or, Absolutely. Right? You know, the, the best actors are, you, you know, they don't even look like they're acting just like the best right. salespeople. Right. They don't even look like they're selling. Right. It's just, how do you teach that? That's what I wanted to ask. How do you teach that salesperson to find themselves, but not be acting. Right. Right. And, right. And there's a difference, you know, it's a difference between having a script and sounding scripted in some cases, but I, I'll, I'll stop there and let you, you know, take that on. Sure. Sure. And that, that is the, uh, that is the crux of the question is not how do we remain authentic, but present a version of ourselves that connects effectively with our audience, which is especially relevant now that we're virtual because that's those things have shifted. There's another layer of um, technology to consider. So uh, it, it really, you know, acting is about, um, it's not about becoming another person. It's about finding those parts of yourself to bring to a role. Um, so we all have, you know, we all play roles throughout our day. Like right now you're in your, your podcast role, right? But you're a, you're a partner, you're a parent, you're a sales leader, you're an author. Um, and you don't turn into another person, I assume, right? That's a particular disorder. Uh, you just use the specific parts, the best parts of yourself to fulfill that role. And depends that's on the day, what, Julie, if I turn into another person, depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And how much you're drinking, sure. but <laughs> be that as it may, um, you know, I love this quote from Johnny Depp, who uh, I think you'd agree plays all these way out there characters. And he said, you know, in any part you play, there's a piece of yourself in it. Otherwise, it's not acting, it's lying. So even in those crazy, you know, Edward Scissorhands, you know, there's a, there's a piece of, you know, Johnny Depp in there. And so when I see salespeople, and this is where it comes to light, is uh, somewhere down the road, maybe in the 80s, you know, when we're all, all buttoned up in sales, uh, we learn to be very prim and proper and formal and scripted. And so salespeople bring this certain type of energy to a call and it's very boring and dull and it doesn't engage anyone. And I always say what, you know, what I mostly try to do is get people to bring their personality to this, this selling conversation 
so that some the other person has something to connect with. And so much of it is breaking those old patterns of who we think we should be as a salesperson. Like I saw my manager acting a certain way, and so I'm trying to model that, and it doesn't fit. Um, so everybody's version, just like any actor who takes on a role, is going to have a different version of it. Um, you know, it's going to be different depending on that actor, what they bring to it. And it's not going to be wrong. It's just going to be their version of it. So it's just understanding how to find those best parts of yourself, what is going to help you connect with uh, with your audience um, as best as possible at the end of the day. I want to know about your your pivot from from acting into the the world of of sales what what brought that what brought that about was it a long time coming was it like a light bulb moment talk to us about that yeah interesting i i started in sales i didn't start as an actor and um i well uh, backtrack i started as a buyer i was a professional buyer and uh, so I had all these salespeople calling on me, which was the best part of my day, uh, because the rest of the time I was crunching numbers and writing reports. And and I thought, hey, I could do that. I like people, and they're having fun. And uh, so I thought it'd be a real simple transition. And when I got into sales, coming from that background where people always called you back, and they were very, you know, accommodating and bending over backwards for you, to go into sales was a bit of a shock. And I really struggled that first year uh, in terms of confidence. And I saw the other salespeople and they just seemed like they had it all together and things didn't bother them. And um, I just was, you know, You mean they were lying? They were lying. (laughs) They were acting as if. Um, And so I thought, well, what can I do to really get outside of myself and, uh, you know, throw myself into the, the, the fire. And I remembered I, I liked acting as a, a, you know, in school. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll get up in front of people and that'll break that, that fear. And it was interesting. That was my motivation. And it actually had two great outcomes. The first of which it absolutely uh, helped me get comfortable in my own skin and find these different versions of myself. Cause I really was trying to be this certain type of salesperson, what I thought a salesperson should be. And so it opened me up to all these different um, parts of myself and helped me um, connect with those in an authentic way and, you know, just communicate with people better. And, um, and of course, I also enjoyed the acting part. So I started doing, doing both. I did both for many years. Uh, eventually, I lived in Denver. I eventually moved to New York and um, studied acting there professionally, took off a year and did a bunch of plays and commercials and some small TV roles. And, um, and it was great. And then I just started using it as a manager when I would coach people and, and people really responded to that. And so I just turned that into a business. So that's the, that's the yeah. transition. I think most salespeople I work with kind of get that they're like, Oh, you know, cause it is, there's a part of performance to it when you're in front of another person. I think, sure. You know, uh, the experience economy, I don't know if you've read that, um, it's by two Harvard MBAs, and they said anytime you're in front of a customer, it is an act of performance takes place. Um, I, I remember when I first got into sales, it was so uncomfortable for me and so different yeah. from the person that I had been that I had to, to basically create this other character. I went into <laughs> character that way, like whatever negatives happened if somebody hung up on me or told me no it wouldn't affect me like 
psychologically. I wouldn't internalize it. Right. Be this other right. person. Um, it took me a, a long time before I found a way to kind of integrate those two personalities into, into one. Uh, I, I want to kind of keep this train of thought going because if I look at the arc of your career, at least on your LinkedIn profile, as, as I interpret it, you kind of go from um, training on like, you know, the acting of sales and the training there to more like technical kind of selling. And then now you're, you're really focused on, on video and the use of video as a medium to selling. So it seems like you're sort of evolving with the industry. And so I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on like how you've evolved and, 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 and why and how important it is for everybody else. And then a tag on question to that is where are we going next beyond video? Great. That's great. Um, yes. You know, the, uh, I guess the, the core that runs through all of my uh, evolution is that, you know, the, those acting principles that, that uh, which is really just a desire to communicate to the other person um, and make them feel something, want to, you know, help influence their beliefs, their actions, what have you. But at the end of the day, feel something. And um, the area that really lends itself most to that is those customer facing events, whether it's a presentation or a demonstration. And it's interesting because that's really where I started was in presentations and pitches. But a lot of people that really needed those skills are in the technical field because they don't come up from the typical sales ranks. They're oftentimes, you know, subject yeah. matter experts. They have a technical background. It's and a, they're, you know, fantastic. From their normal personality. Right, right. They may be a little more introverted or quiet, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm more, you know, I relate more to them than the real extroverted salespeople myself. And so I understand how challenging that is um, to be expected to be this live wire when you're a, a quieter type. And so just helping people find that balance um, is what I love um, to, you know, help them feel more confident and help them connect better. And then, of course, uh, you know, last spring when everything went crazy, uh, you know, I, I sat back and watched as people are jumping, you know, people who suddenly, I used to be in presentation courses and I'd work with inside sales folks who did remote presentations and I'd say, okay, how many people um, turn their camera on? And it'd be like 2%. And they're like, oh no, I couldn't, Dan, I terrible. You know, all these, all these excuses. And suddenly everybody's on camera and they're having these awkward conversations and, you know, deer in headlights and uh, it's just a mess. And they're getting all these tips like, well, just turn your camera on and throwing people or throwing technology at them and learn your platform and not addressing the bottom line issue, which is people don't know how to talk to a camera. It's not something we're born knowing how to do. There's nothing natural about it. And you can do all these external fixes and it's not going to solve that if you don't deal with that issue because the camera reads things so, certain ways. This is great. How do you talk to a camera, right? How do you focus? Like, you know, I'm looking at the camera so that if I'm hoping it feels like I'm looking at you and engaging you and right. using body language and all those things versus when do I go and look at you on camera? And is it even, does it, I mean, where's the good, where's the bad? What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And see, those are the questions that just, you know, everybody thinks, oh, they'll, the salespeople figure it out. Well, 
they're trying to figure it out on their customers, which is a really bad way to practice things and, and find things out. So, um, you know, as you said, the, the net of it is to make someone feel like you're listening to them, talking to them, you have to look at the camera. And that camera rarely lines up with our, you know, the eye line, the eyesight of the other person. Uh, certainly move those images around, which is what everybody says. That's great. Doesn't solve the problem. So, um, you, there's, you know, I, I equate it to, um, you know, that actor who, you know, often in, in film or television, the roles that I did, you know, you have to be talking to another person and, and really having a, a conversation and looking at this black box, but you have to have all those feelings and emotions there, even though you can't see that person. And so there's a technique behind it that involves sort of getting that person's face in your mind's eye, projecting it onto the camera, and then actually starting to imagine their reactions if you can't see them. And I would say, imagine a positive reaction. Because if I imagine that you're sitting there going, that doesn't make sense, you know, scowling at me, I'm going to be very nervous and uh, my energy is going to drop. Um, so, it, so you have to learn to work with the camera to be able to project. Now, the thing is that we can still read body language while we're looking at a camera. Um, so that was for my instance, question. How do I do that? Like I'm kind of okay. watching you out of the peripheral okay. vision. We're going to do, do a little test here. Okay, so I want you to just look at your camera. Don't look at me. And um, I'm going to do a couple things, and then we're going to see what you notice. Okay? okay, so just don't look at the camera. Ready? Ready. All right. Okay. What did you notice? I noticed you looked to the side, then you moved your hair, and then I saw your arms move, but I don't know if you were crossing your arms. Okay. That's yeah, what Scott? I saw. That's about the same, same as me. I saw you turn, turn your head, and I saw the arm kind of raise, and everything else was like a blur, kind of. Okay. All right. So, so good. So you saw quite a bit. You saw movement, right? Um, we actually have stronger peripheral vision than we realize, and that's a skill that you can build and um, start to trust a little more, that if someone does move, does make a movement that indicates they're distracted or um, something's changed, that you will catch that. When you get better at it, you're able to catch um, some of the changes in expression, like if somebody smiles or, you know, and usually tilting their head is like thinking. Um, so that is a way to, to get some trust in the fact that you can still look at the camera and you're not going to miss a lot of major signals. That doesn't mean you don't want to check in on their image occasionally. But the thing is, if I'm, if I'm a customer and I'm talking to you and I'm telling you, you've asked me about my problems and challenges and I'm talking and you really you know, deep level about those, and you're looking at my image, you know, it's like talking to your spouse about something that really bothers you and they're not paying attention, right? That would never like, happen. Hey. It would never happen. Like, Scott oh, and I are perfect example. husbands. <laughs> bad example. Never um, actually, that. Scott and I probably pay more attention to each other when we disagree <laughs> than we do to our wives. 
<laughs> Kathy oh and would probably go, yeah, that's true. Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, so I understand the impulse to want to focus on someone's image, but, and even though intuitive or not intuitively intellectually, your customer may note that, you know, they're probably looking at my image emotionally. It feels like you're not that interested in me. So nobody, nobody should be using the gallery view then in your opinion. I, um, not, I, I think in a, in, a, in a customer kind of pitch or presentation or something like that, I guess there's certain situations where, you know, maybe you're speaking to a hundred different people on, on zoom, right. And the gallery is maybe. Right. But see, here's the thing. You can't talk to a hundred different people. In fact, you can't talk to two people. And, um, and that's one thing as an actor that you, you know, learn is especially on camera is you are only talking to one person. That's all the, the camera is one person. So whether you, you know, you may want to talk to, you know, actors want to talk to a million people, but they are visualizing one person. So that, um, that helps your focus. That makes it feel very, um, you know, personal yeah. uh, that you're reaching them. So everybody will feel like you're connecting to them if you focus on one person. Now so you have to you, determine, go ahead. Yeah. So, I, I love this idea of focusing on one person. And I've, I've watched Scott speak in front of the Zoom world. I've, I've done a lot of speaking in front of humans. And, you know, I always look, you know, I try to catch people's eye and that's a different, it's a different live, right? Um, it is. Uh, but let's say you're presenting, let's say you're in a sales role and you are presenting and you have five people who all can influence this decision, right? Um, you're still speaking to one person, but how do you pay attention to five people, right? Like, how do you, how do you know where to go? Like I got, okay, I'm trying to see who seems interested, not interested, who's, you know, how do I know to do that? And is that just part of the practice of the peripheral vision? Uh, It is. And, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things. Uh, My good friend, Peter Cohan, who wrote, uh, great demo. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Came up with something like it's called the zoom scan. And it really is um, kind of scan because you've got your tools you have to look at. You've got your maybe your notes, your presentation, you've got the audience. So it's really doing that in a in a logical way to do the scan, see where everything is back to the camera. Um, So having a logical procedure for doing that, I always think First of all, what is it you're looking for that the person is going to tell you uh, on their body language? Because I think there is a real problem um, with reading, interpreting body language uh, the same way we do live. And I'll tell you why. Because most people, when they're on video, have this face. For those, are, for those who are just listening, you're sort of she's staring into the into the abyss of the camera, uh, right. expressionless. Right. I, yeah, I call it resting business face. Right. <laughs> RBF, resting business face, and uh, you know that's what it is, and that is how most people will look at look on your screen. And we, what happens? We panic. We're like, oh my god, they're bored. They're not interested. I got to speed things up, and we start talking fast, and we we don't pause, and it just becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. 
And the thing is that people do not feel as obligated to look engaging when they're in front of a screen. We are trained when we sit in front of a screen, what are we? We are consumers of information, right? Whether it's a movie screen, a TV screen, our iPad, we're doing working on a computer, we are in consumption mode, especially if we're expecting someone to deliver a presentation. We're not thinking we're part of this dynamic necessarily. So you are more, more of often more of a passive participant than an active one, maybe? Yes, yes, absolutely. So there's there's two problems with that. There's first of all the problem that they look passive and so we panic and start to we we speak to that or react to that and that that is not helpful. And we also have to find ways to get them to engage more. We have to work harder at it virtually. And I'm sure you've found this yourself and salespeople are finding this. It's like I would hear salespeople like, oh, God, those people like, you know, there's no interaction. They were so, you know, they wouldn't engage with me. Well, it's not really their job to do that, right? They're just doing what people do in front of the screen. It's your responsibility to make it um, compelling to engage with you. Yeah, this How is great. I, I, I don't know about you, Richard, but I suck at this. I, I am not good at it at all. Like, I just constantly want to look at somebody's face because I think I'm making eye contact with them. And I have a really hard time just staring right at the camera. This is, I've gotten this, better at it. I actually, I took a picture um, and it, you know, my camera is literally right here. And then the three, the two of the, well, the three of us are like right there. So mm -hmm. I'm practicing, which I've always done. I've always been like, okay, I need to be able to see people. It's harder, you know, like Scott, if it's your Thursday night sales where you literally have 150 people, it's way harder. Um, and you're, and you, you have a deeper relationship with that group. It's different, but I am sitting here and I can, I'm now practicing my peripheral vision. I think that's like the one thing I'm walking out of here with today is trust my peripheral vision and recognize it and practice it a lot more. So I'm, I'm definitely trying hard right now because I feel like Julie's an expert at this. She's, I feel like I'm being judged the whole time. Like, well, he's not paying attention. Scott, to you're me. always being judged, buddy. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> That's accurate. I gotta, I gotta, no, I gotta do well. I gotta I wanna, do well in front of my teacher here. So, Julie, I wanna, I wanna ask because you, you talk about that balance between your Zoom and your presentation and those kinds of things, um, and I even think the presentation or demo mode. Um, I actually, I actually want to talk about demo. Okay. What are people getting wrong in the demo? And I even think demo was being done by Zoom long before COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are people doing wrong? I have certain ideas, but I'm curious to yours. What are people doing wrong and what do they need to start doing? Oh gosh, what are they doing wrong? Uh, <laughs> where do I start? Uh, and first of all, I, I would say this applies to both presentations and demos, whether you have slides you know, or software you know, screens that you're showing. Um, people are too quickly going into the, the software or the slides without starting full camera. Um, if you want to connect with someone, it's very hard to connect with this little one inch dot of you up in the corner. And I think a lot of times we have to rethink our slides uh, in a virtual presentation. It's like, is it more important that they see this one line you have on a slide or that they see your face and they're connecting with you? So um, that's the, the one thing. So a lot of times with demos, I see, um, you know, SEs, SEs not taking advantage of going full camera and taking those opportunities like in between different sections to go full camera when they're answering questions, 
um, you know, really reinforcing that um, connection. Also, because we don't know what size screen someone is watching this on, um, you have to take into account, you know, what is on your screen and not assuming that people are looking at the same thing you are. Uh, you have to be very uh, precise about where you're pointing. You have to use not just physical hues, cues, but verbal cues. Because a lot of times people, saw, you know, just start uh, mousing around. <laughs> Sounds like mousing around, horsing around. And they they know what they're doing, but I'm a few beats back, so they're by the time I catch up, they've already talked about something over here on the right side, and now they're on the left, and you've lost them. So you need to be very clear and concise. Like so, over here on the top right, we're looking at you know this this column here, and then if I go over to the left, so you have to really manage your audience's eyes when you're doing. Um, you have anything on the screen because otherwise you put something on the screen somebody's going to start they're going to try to read it right that's true of slides if there's words that's true of software they'll start to and it's not necessarily what you're talking about so you have to be really um you know instructional about what you want them to to read yeah, it's and, like, sorry it's, it's, it's i remember you know a long time ago i sold newspaper and we were not allowed to bring out the paper until we got to a certain point because once you bring out the paper, they start reading the paper. Right, right, paper, right. right? exactly. Um, and it's the same thing I've noticed too when I went and, and looked at rings for my wife was, you know, they ask a lot of questions before they bring out the ring. So they know which ring to bring out, right? Um, and what you're looking for and all those things, which is smart. Like, you know, they, aside from the fact they don't want anybody to steal it, you know, <laughs> there's there's a process in there that, that matters. Um, what do you, th I, I say this a lot and I'm curious to your, your opinion on demos is that I keep reminding people's, people that demos are demos, they're not product training, right? When you go buy oh. a car, you're not programming the radio station, right? Right, do you, right. Do you see that too? Like how do you teach people what's the right amount to put in a demo? Yeah, or, or do you disagree? Like feel free to disagree. Uh, no, I, I I completely agree. Where so many demos I I see are are you know I've just been trained on the product. I don't I'm not sure how it's going to help me necessarily, but I know how to set something up. Or, you know, do a report. So uh, if you look at it as um, you know what what is the value somebody's going to get out of it, and how do I show them that value in a in a high level way without going through every possible, you know, step to get there. I don't need to see how the sausage is made, right? What, let me see the sausage, right? So I would say, what, what is that end result? Where is somebody going to consume this, um, this product? Where are they going to spend their time? Is it this, is it this dashboard? Is what's the, what's the coolest thing you can show them, put it up front right away. Um, so they can see what the outcome is, do a high level description and then let them, ask the questions to guide you into how deep you go because too many times people make assumptions and they just start you know going down a path and then they've added more information that just confuses the the person or dilutes your message um, so thinking of it in terms of it's just an appetizer it's not the full meal right we're not uh, along, along that along that same line of thinking like has the length of a demo gone up or down in the last year and what should it have done? 
I'm thinking in terms of like attention span, for example, and I'm seeing people do, you know, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm seeing people do an hour and a half to two hour virtual demos for really complicated, complex products with lots of different decision makers. I've seen it, seen it happen. And I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, there is no way I could pay it. My kids would have barged in here three, four times by then. I would have had to let the dogs out to pee. Somebody came and delivered a FedEx package to my door. Like, I don't have two hours. What are we talking about? Right. How, how is it okay for even an hour demo to still exist in this totally virtual selling world, which to me is very different than if I'm in a conference room with you for an hour face-to-face. Absolutely. And and the thing is, we're not required to do that anymore because we have the opportunity to do more multiple sessions. So there really is no reason to do a two-hour demo for multiple decision makers. Why are we not breaking that up into, um, you know, HR, we're going to do this 45 minutes. Then we're going to go to IT. We're going to focus on your issues. So I'm the one as the salesperson doing multiple hours and that's okay. Um, but I'm not putting my audience through where they've got to see everybody's um, version of the solution because the executives are going to want to see something very different than the admin. Right? So you're right. I mean, it just things, you know, things, are, they should be tighter and they can be tighter. So it really is just a, uh, I think it's a fear that, oh, we've got this one shot, we've got to get everything in here. That's but exactly, make, that's exactly right? what I was thinking. I, I just was like chatting to Richard. I think the why is the fear, the fear that everybody has that, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get Richard and Julie on the phone or on this Zoom ever again because it's harder and harder to actually get somebody's attention these days. Right, right. Probably only going to get worse, right? Right, and and you're but you're not going to get their attention if you just flood them with all this information. You're not going to get more attention. They'll be like, oh my god, that was that interesting, but way too complicated, right? Yeah, totally. I want to I want to shift um, entirely. Um, I want to. I'm curious of two things. One is um, one's a fairly easy question. The other one, uh, I, I'm might be challenging. So one is what made you come back to sales from acting? Like, you know, like, you know, people have this, oh my God, you're an actor. You know, you've been in 75 shows and you were on Sex in the City and you were, you know, like, you know, other than Law and Order, right? Like I saw that, I thought that was funny. Um, what made you come back? Well, you know, I actually, I'm a business person at heart. I'm not, I don't have that starving artist mentality. I'd had a sex, successful career before I started. And I was like, you know, I'm not interested in living with five other people in a walk-up apartment. Yeah. Uh, not for me. And you know what I loved about acting for me? It was, it was a love of well, just the, the, the psychology of it, of, um, you know, connecting with these different parts of yourself and communicating with other people. And certainly just the, the, you know, the, the fun of it, it was certainly uh, different than my day job. And right. um, I just enjoyed it both. I really just took a, a, about a year and a half off to do just only acting. And, and I have to tell you, it was interesting because I would go on these auditions and it really taught me a lot about sales because in sales, you know, if you lose a deal, you can think, well, it was a price or they, you know, they didn't like my product or, you know, you can sort of put a little barrier between your ego and and the loss of the sale. 
when you lose a part, you know, in a, in a, for a role, it's not your product. You are the product and they did not choose you. So it, hurt, it, was, it hurts a little more, maybe. It really, that first year when I was just uh, acting, you know, for, for a living, it was like, ah, oh, it was painful. And what I found was I really had to, um, it, it really helped me mentally toughen up because also in sales, we aren't sitting in a waiting room with 20 of our competitors all waiting to go in to see the customer. So it's very easy in sales to forget that those competitors are out there, out of sight, out of mind. Well, I would get into those you know, audition rooms and I would see 50 other women that looked a lot like me that you know, were, seemed very prepared and my confidence would just start to go, you know, like, well, why would they choose me, you know? It was really um, a challenge to stay mentally and psychologically uh, prepared to go in there and deliver your best. Would it be easier for you to go in there and do that now with, you know, all the skills that you've learned and the mindset that you have now, if you were to go back in time, would it be easier or would, it, or would, or would that same thing happen where your confidence would kind of erode sitting next to all these competitors in the uh, lobby with you? Yeah, I, I think I think it would still start to affect me, and but now I have the tools yeah. and the, the knowledge of how to address that. But I think it was an important lesson that that we as sales forget about our competition, and so we we have a certain comfort level, and that's that's a false reality, right? Um, just because we can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. And so I think people get a little too relaxed in some of their um, approach. And I especially see this in video because there is this tendency to want to be, you know, when you say I want to be authentic and I'm, I'm all for being yourself. Um, but people often as associate that with being comfortable, like and being natural. And what happens is that state, that comfortable state does not read well on camera. If I'm truly comfortable and I'm sitting back and I'm, just kind of talking to you and, you know, hey, great to see you. So we're going to talk about, you know, how to how to sell them better on video. That energy, the camera already takes off a certain amount of energy. And so I've already watered that down. So you have to bring a little more energy to the camera. You have to um, make sure that that translates to the other person. So you can't relax into uh, the state of like just being loosey-goosey or it reads as disinterest. I want to, so this is the next question. Um, I'm sure it could be an entire episode is going from, you know, the acting world or sales world, acting world back into sales as a woman, you know, we already know there's, there's just challenges around this. I'm curious what experience and advice you'd give to other women in sales, just based on your own experience, not you know, I, I have no idea if you had negative experiences. I'm not looking for that. I'm, I'm looking for, you, know, you just have a, a, a unique perspective from two very specific industries. And I think it's everywhere that, I don't know if the word take advantage of women is the right phrase, but, you know, just sure. don't necessarily, <laughs> I mean, all right, then take advantage of women. Like that's, you get to, that's just, your answer. Like that's true. Uh, well, I think, it's, I think it's also a matter of, um, we've been taught and I'm from an era where you just grew up with that and um, you accept a lot of things that maybe aren't acceptable that, you know, I realize now. Um, 
you limit yourself and your um, your goals and your um, opportunities you pursue. And uh, and I think that that's 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 always a mindset that sticks with you. And so how do you encourage that person? How do you encourage that that woman? And it doesn't matter where they are in their career because I think it still happens even to to younger women that I've talked to. Oh, and, absolutely. And to, you know, Gen Xers like me, how do you, how would you coach someone to other than, well, you got to get over it, right? Like, yeah, you know, and that's, I mean, that's my least favorite advice and is, uh, you know, well, just be confident, just show more confidence. It's like, what does that mean? You know, I just hate advice like that. And what I loved about acting is the principles are very tactical. It's like sales. I like somebody to tell me, so how do I, what are the steps I need to take? How do I do that? Uh, it's like, it's like, you know, presenting yourself on camera. There's some actual tactical things you can do. Like we talked about a few of them. So, um, for me, what was really helpful and I, and I do teach like an executive presence for, you know, millennials or for women in sales to combat some of these issues. Like I said, that issue of like, I'm not enough. There's everybody, you know, there's all these people that are more experienced than me and blah, blah, blah. I'm not as outgoing. Um, how do we deal with that? So there's a lot of, you know, internal, what messaging we are telling ourselves. It, and, and that's where I think a lot of things, uh, a lot of training misses is they don't start with that inside piece. Because if I don't fix, if I don't have the inside right, um, it's not going to be communicated, you know, um, authentically or, or the way that I think it is outside. So starting with what messaging am I telling myself? Is that true? You know, what am I, what is, how am I inhibiting myself? And then as an actor, what, what we'd often learn or our first thing we'd look at when we took on a character was what is that character's status in comparison to the other characters? Because whatever your status is, whatever your status you think you have, that is going to color everything you do, everything you say, how you um, how you act. So if I think I'm less than this person, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little less, right? Um, if I think of you as a peer, I'm going to approach you very, um, you know, with a lot of equality. And that is how we approach other people. And we don't consciously think of it, but there is a certain, uh, as a human being, there's a certain status, um, radar that we, that we put into motion. And so just being aware of that and making sure we've got, we're coming in with the right status set and doing whatever work we need to do to get to that equal status footing um, can put us on the right, the right start. So that's, that's part of the work. Great. That's a good answer. By the way, for, for those who are listening, where could they find you? If, and again, I, I want to support women in sales who may want to, sort of learn about your executive coaching and stuff like that. Where could they reach out to you? Uh, Performance sales and training.com. Great. And our LinkedIn, Julie Hansen sales training. Awesome. So we got to wrap, but we got one more question, but before we do uh, special thanks to our sponsors of Salesforce revenue cloud lead 411 and gong.io helping everybody um, focus and improve on their sales skills, uh, particularly with gong. we, I bet we could have had a whole conversation with you about what to listen for oh, in yes. recording, Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, and how to get past the, I hate the sound of my voice, which is my oh. biggest challenge, but what can we do to help you? What, what, you know, any questions we can answer for you? Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know. As far as questions, I guess 
just uh, letting people know that there are there is help in this area and and you don't necessarily have to be uh, good at being on camera that there's there are resources I have a selling on video masterclass that walks through a lot of the foundational elements and videos and allows you to practice or, or get feedback uh, I've also got a book coming out on much of what we talked about how do we make eye contact and read body language and manage big groups and all those things so um, I, I would love to hear what challenges you're hearing other salespeople come up against when they are selling virtually. Uh, we talked about many of them, but um, it's good to yeah. know I, what, what you're seeing. I think the couple of things, and I'm less this person is, oh, there goes, there goes Scott, the dog's barking or something got delivered, um, <laughs> is um, one perfection, like expecting it to be perfect right? To be Kardashian-esque, um, I think is part of it. I think there's, it's so fresh and new and interesting at the prospecting level, how to leverage it further in the sales cycle, right? Is it as simple as a thank you video um, right. or more? Um, I think those are, those are the two biggest things in terms of okay. what I'm hearing. So, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and to that point, like perfection is, you know, it's some ideal out there and, and, and we don't actually connect with perfect people. I don't connect with the Kardashians. <laughs> Not that I think they're perfect, uh, but it's those imperfections sometimes that, that we connect with. And certainly we don't want to do things. And that's one of the things that I teach is how not to do things that make it difficult for people to connect with you, whether it's distracting uh, movements, vocal tics, uh, I, you know, the way we're using our eyes, that kind of thing. Um, but it's not about being perfect, certainly. There's two video selling challenges that I hear consistently. Um, the first one is being creative enough to stand out and be memorable because there are enough people doing video prospecting now that mm -hmm. some of the videos kind of are interchangeable. Um, and so people are kind of, trying to struggle to get unique, creative messaging, right? Be different, be goofy maybe, be super serious. I've seen people put on costumes for the video, right? So this, this how do I get creative enough with my messaging that um, it's memorable enough to get a response? Yeah. That one's maybe a little bit easier. The one that people struggle with the most, and I don't, this is my personal opinion, I don't know that anybody has solved this yet, is, they can't do it at scale because each video needs to be so personalized and is so different and potentially creative that they kind of do a few takes on all of them. And before you know it, the day is gone and they've sent like five prospecting videos out. That's not at scale. Ain't nobody building a pipeline sending five to 10 videos out <laughs> a day. Right. 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 Not, not enough. So figuring out how to do video and do it well at scale in mass with some kind of volume that is meaningful. Um, that's the biggest challenge that I think people are running mm, into. Absolutely. Well, and, and just quickly, I'll say uh, putting out those, those prospecting videos or using videos as follow-up, those pre-recorded videos, that is as close to acting as you're going to get folks. So there is lots to learn because that is truly talking to a black box, not seeing the person, 
having to grab their attention right away. There is so much to learn from acting on that. And so I have a whole chapter in the book on that because that really is, that is the, the question. And um, yes, you can do funny costumes, you can do all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, if, if, if someone is looking at me and I feel like they're connecting to me and they're talking to me, if it's a video, I'm gonna pay attention. It's much like um, you've, you've seen an actor when they're in a show and they're just talking to the other characters and then suddenly they talk to you, the audience. Have you seen that in a show? Yeah, the like, dynamic change. Yeah, the fourth, the fourth uh, wall, breaking uh, the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall. They break the fourth wall. It is so compelling because I, I've had that happen where I was watching House of Cards and I felt like he was sitting in the room with me. It was like, and he's kind of creepy, so that was not a great feeling. I don't know that he's kind of creepy. I think we got <laughs> yeah. past kind of creepy. I know. Yeah. I was being kind. Um, and that is the kind of dynamic engagement that you can create on camera and we don't see very much of. So that is what's what's potentially there. And that is the next level of, we talked about where are we going from here. The next level is how do we use this, this video, this virtual setup to make people forget we are miles and miles away, there's technology between us, but as if we are sitting there having a cup of coffee. And if you can create that experience I don't care. You don't need a silly costume. You don't need to have, you know, funny hats and glasses. Um, you're going to get someone's attention. Yep. Yep. I think that's great. Thank you so much, Julie. We, this has been super deep and fascinating in a, in a perspective that we don't get to talk about a lot. So thank you so much. And uh, oh, my pleasure. Th thanks for sharing all these tips. I'm practicing my peripheral vision as I close out this episode. Um, so <laughs> it's good. Uh, I saw your head go up and down. So <laughs> there you go. It's working. Awesome. So thank you again. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thanks, Julie. Thank you.